Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with a true American icon, Basketball Hall of Famer Charles Barkley. Barkley, 20-footer, yes, Charles Barkley with an MVP jump shot. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today on the program, we're talking hoops with one of the icons of the game. He's an 11-time All-Star member of the NBA Hall of Fame, College Basketball Hall of Fame, and a two-time gold medal winner. And on the broadcast inside, he's got four Emmys as well. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Charles Barkley. Chuck, thanks for coming on the what? program. What up? What up? How y'all doing? Hey, can you believe they're giving us... First of all, they pay us to watch basketball. Now they're giving us trophies. You're talking about getting ridiculous. It's getting crazy. I'm getting, they're giving me trophies now for talking about basketball, so I might watch anyway. That is awesome. I mean, that's a lot of hardware. Well, listen, uh, it's just more stuff uh, uh, just to keep around the house in case somebody break in. I could knock the hell out of them. <laughs> all right, Charles. There's... You know, I was going over. I was going over this this pre pod interview, and and there's too many accolades. Uh, I don't have I don't have time to mention all your awards. Out of all the things you've done in your life to this point, what are you most proud of? Oh, great question. Number one, just being successful. I mean, you know, I'm from a small town in Alabama, a little fat kid from a small town, a few thousand people. And now, you know, 50-some years later, uh, I'm in the Basketball Hall of Fame and have a great life. So just the, 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 just the success of my life so far. I mean, and, and I don't, I don't, I'm not being poo-poo. I mean, like, yo, man, everybody don't have a great life. Uh, and like I say, when you come out of a small town like I did, I never even, I wasn't even thinking about the NBA. I was like, let me play basketball because, number one, I started to be a little crook, and I didn't want to do that. And I was saying, okay, let's just go to college for free and figure out what job you're going to get. Because, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of people know my story. I grew from 5'10 to 6'5 in one year. Uh, I didn't have a lot of offers. Because people always say, where did Charles Barkley come from? Because, I, like I say, I grew from 5'10 to 6'5 in one year. Before I, and that was my senior year. So I had never gotten a college scholarship offer before my senior year. Uh, but, you know, to look at my life all these years later, man, it's been a, a crazy, amazing journey. Uh, I mean, I, sometimes, you know, you know, we, we always got something to do. But, man, sometimes when I'm in my little quiet moments, I'm like, man, we've had a good run. You've had a great run and, and become one of the just the personality. And, and you got to a point in. And I always say to, to buddies, you know, when they talk about Charles, I said he's got that factor. He's got the Chuck thing. He can – not too many people have it, but you have that special something, and, and it kind of transcends sports. People love watching you talk. You're, you're, you're brutally honest, but yet very knowledgeable and have a lot of life experience. So I, I think it's very unique. And, that, and I, we'll get to it a little bit later. I think that's why your shows are so over-the-top successful. But I want to talk about Charles Barkley as a kid. Like you mentioned earlier, born and raised in uh, Leeds, Alabama, I believe. 
Yeah. And I want to, I want to know growing up, was it always hoops? Did you, did you play other sports or you mentioned earlier, you weren't <laughs> sure you were going to be a basketball player, but what, what, other, what other things did Charles do as a kid? You know, I didn't, I didn't play other sports. Like I said, I was only five ten. And then my senior year, I grew to 6'5". But the thing that's funny, I played football one day. Then I realized they were freaking nuts out there. I was like, I, I used to joke around later. I said, Coach, I think you put me in the wrong position. Because I played football one day, and I was on the defensive line. was like a real football player because you get hit like every play. I always tell people, like, the two hardest positions in, 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 in football is offensive line and defensive line. Those are, people, those are the only people who work hard on every single play. And uh, so I tried to play football, and I always joke. I said, I remember the last thing the coach said to me, hey, I'll see y'all tomorrow. I'm like, wait a minute, wait. You think I'm going to do this stupid stuff again tomorrow? Just run into some big old fat dude, and I'm a big old fat dude. You think that we're going <laughs> to run into each other for two hours again tomorrow? You got another thing coming. So uh, that was my only one day uh, playing football. And then, like I say, I was a, a, a short backup point guard. Uh, and then I have no idea, even to this day, I grew from 5'10". I was a 5'10 backup point guard. And then something happened. And when I went back to school, I was 6'5". And uh, it was the craziest thing because I, I felt like I had grown a little bit. But, you know, I didn't have, you know, people say, well, did you have body pains and things? I'm like, no, I don't remember any of this stuff. But when I got back, I was 6'5". And uh, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> it's, it makes me laugh because I'm sitting there and I'm going, my junior year to my senior year, I grew to 5'10", and it enabled me to play second base. <laughs> and you're like, I was just fine. I said, well, now I'm shorter, too. I think I'm 5'9". I got into my 50s. I'm starting to shrink. My back's starting to hurt. But you mentioned uh, you, you were kind of a late bloomer. You went to Leeds High School. Yeah, but you didn't even. I don't even think you started till your senior year. And like you said, you had the big growing spurt. You hear about this with athletes all the time. It's hey, he didn't make his high school JV team, you know. And it, it kind of the legend goes on about that. But you really were a late bloomer in high school. You came kind of came out of nowhere, and and it led to you going to Auburn. But uh, tell well, me about you those know, high school because, years. Like I say, you know. Uh, you know, all these great players, they be getting letters and when they're like sophomores and juniors and sometimes even freshmen. I never got a single letter to my senior year. And it was really in the beginning because nobody, I'm not on anybody's radar, number one, when we start the season. And then we played, we were ranked number one because I had a really good high school team. Uh, we had about six or seven guys who got scholarships. So I'm not on anybody's radar. And then we play against, uh, we're ranked number one, and we play against the number one ranked team in a higher division led by Bobby Lee Hurt, who was one of the best big men, well, the best big man in the country at the time. He actually signed with Alabama. And we beat them, and I had 20 points and 20 rebounds. And then people are like, who is that little dude there? I mean, because like I say, I'm still only like 6'5", so I'm still considered a little dude. But... Uh, that's when I got started getting my. That was in the. That was Christmas. That was a Christmas tournament, and that was the first time I got noticed by some big schools. Because up until then, I was all junior college 
or small schools in Alabama. Like I, 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 I can't even remember, but I, the first time I got a letter from a Division One school, and I can't remember right offhand, but like everything happened right after that Christmas tournament. And I was gonna stay because I'm really, I was really close with my mother and grandmother. Rest in peace, both of them, great women. But I was gonna stay close to them, uh, either Alabama, UAB, or Auburn. And the funny thing about it is, so uh, my first visit was to UAB, which is closest to my house, and they actually made it to the Sweet 16 and had everybody coming back. So my second choice was Alabama. They made it to the Sweet 16. And they had everybody coming back, and they signed Bobby Lee Hurt. So when I went down to Auburn, they had lost like 12 games in a row. And I says, yeah, this is the place for me because we ain't got no players. And, you know, I always tell all kids this. When you're trying to decide where to go to college, the number one decision is are you going to get to play? Because that's going to be the first time you're away from home. So – you you know you if you don't get to play everything's gonna suffer. So I I went to Auburn, which is probably the best decision I ever made in my life. I got to play right away, and uh, like I say, the rest is history. I think you're right, and you hit on a great point. You know, too many kids are uh, they're looking. Well, I got a I got a partial scholarship to this college or this college, and and they'd ask me from the baseball standpoint, where should I go, Mister Boone? <laughs> I'd say, well, where are you gonna play? If you go to this college, are you going to start as a freshman? Probably not. Okay, if you go here, what are the chances? Pretty good chance I start as a freshman. I said, is there is there even a question then? You know, you go yeah, there I, as, you know, you're, you're going there for your academics. At the same time, if you're chasing your dreams and this is what you want to do, you got to be on the field for that, for that dream to go forward. Yeah, I always tell them, I say, hey, listen, if you want an education, you get it. Like, you're not going to get a better education than Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama. If you want a good education, you can get it anywhere. But I said, if you go a long way from home, and, and, see, and that, I think that's one thing kids don't understand. I said, you know, because parents walk up to me sometimes and say, hey, my kid is Mr. Florida or Mr. Georgia. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, they got like 49 more of those, right? I said, hey, just because your kid is Mr. Florida, Mr. Georgia, they got 49 other states, and that is definitely no exact science because I was ranked number five coming out. I ended up clearly having the best career out of all the guys, but I said, that, that, but I always laugh when parents bring it up like, well, my kid was Mr. Florida. I'm like, yeah, they got 49 other states. Don't worry about that. That, 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 that does not mean your kid is going to be successful because when you go to college, there's – probably two or three more state guys like Mr. Arkansas, Mr. Mississippi, and then you got other guys who, like, can really play who just because of the – like I say, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind they penalized me because I was in a, in, a, in a small town. Now, Ennis Wiley and Bobby Lee Hurt probably should have been ranked ahead of me because uh, they both went to Alabama and they were terrific players. But they had me ranked at number five, but I think it's because – the newspaper who ranked those guys, they had never probably been to a small town in Alabama where I was. But, uh, hey, if, you, if you're deciding where to go to college, playing time is the most important thing. Yeah, and you mentioned being close to home. I, I, kinda, I went to USC, and mom and dad lived yeah, 50 minutes away in Orange County. 
So I got the experience of being away, you know, having to be a big boy a little bit now. Mom's not there to do my laundry and and watch after me. So I got to grow up at the same time. I'm playing every day and, and, and I'm I'm learning about life a little, little bit, you know, but I'm not I'm not across the map. So I, I if I if I'm having a tough time, I need to see my parents. I just zip down to five freeway and I was home. I think that's key, too. If you know, in, in all cases that that's not a luxury for everybody, but it's kind of the best of both worlds. You play as a freshman and you're close enough, but far away enough from mom and dad where you could still go home when you need a home cooked meal. Oh, I, and I totally agree with that. Like, I remember when I first went to college, you know, every kid want to act like he's the big man on campus. So I was like, uh, I'll see y'all in a couple months. And, you know, it's a culture shock when you go to a college because it's like, first of all, everybody's big. <laughs> you know, that was the first thing I, I noticed right away because I told people in high school, you probably play against one or two guys who really big dudes who got some size on them. But then when you go to college, you're like, wow, there's a bunch of six, nine, six, ten guys around here. And I was like, cause I didn't get to play right away. So I, I remember telling them, I said, I'll see y'all in a couple of months. And after they kicked my ass, like the first week, I went home the first weekend and just sit with my mother and grandma. I was like, Hey, this is going to be a little more difficult than I thought it was going to be. And she said, that's, she said, that's okay. You, you, you just keep working hard. Stay in your book, but just keep working hard. It'll come around. And that's what I always tell kids. Like, hey, there's a lot of really, really good players out here. It might not click right away. You got to wait for it to, quote, unquote, slow down. And then, number one, I, I think the number one thing I tell people, you have to figure out, because when you're in shape in high school, that does not mean you're in shape for college. And it's definitely not the case when you go to the NBA. Like those are three levels of fitness and hard work that you have to get on the job training. So we get to Auburn. I think at this point you you get up to six six. That's your that's your top height, right? Well, and that's what all- I, we told everybody. I'm really six. A, I'm six really five. about six five, um, a six five and three quarters. But we've always lied and said I was six six. But I, I've always been fascinated with this because it went on in the NBA. You were one of the smallest power forwards and one of the best all time. Uh, I, I think Thank your you. your track record at Auburn speaks for itself. You were, I mean, you you got declared. Uh, you were you were SEC Player of the Decade. Your your number thirty four is retired, and and I try to tell people there's a difference between being in a Hall of Fame and having a number retired. There's two different <laughs> levels. You got that. But tell me about going to college at 6'5 and being a center. To me, that's fascinating. Well, actually, it was really a blessing in disguise, to be honest with you, because it really helped me later when I got to the NBA. Because I think I saw a stat. I'm the only player in basketball history who never started a game against somebody who was shorter than them. So... The coach moved him because he could have played me at forward. But so him playing me at center, when I got to the NBA, I was used to playing against guys who were bigger than me. So playing center uh, in the college really was probably one of the best breaks that I ever got. Because if I had to play uh, small forward or power forward, 
you know, I would have been playing maybe some guys taller, a little taller than my size, playing against big guys every night. When I got to the NBA, it really wasn't that big of a deal to me. Uh, but I tell you, man, going to Auburn was a great decision for me. And one of my most proudest accomplishments is getting Auburn to March Madness because Auburn had never been to March Madness before I got there. And I remember the first time we lost a game in college, I was crying. And these dudes are like, dude, what are you crying about? I said, because we lost. And I said, they're like, well, we never win here. I said, what? He said, we never win here. And I said, dude, I lost like three games in high school in two years. We never lost. And every time we lost, it was like the most painful thing in the world. And I remember that night, the guy was telling me, yo, man, we never win here. And I remember calling my high school coach. And I said, hey, man, I might have made a mistake. And I was telling him about the conversation about it. He says, he says, well, this is going to be your greatest challenge. And I remember getting together with the guys the next day saying, hey, man, this bullshit going to stop around here. I said, we're going to start competing. We're going to start winning. I'm, or I'm going to kick y'all ass every day. This is what's going to happen around here. So my first year, we got to about 500. Uh, my second year, we almost made the NIT. And by my third year, we made March Madness. And I tell people that to me, taking Auburn from where we were, I, I'm so proud of that fact. Uh, uh, it really meant, it really has always meant a lot to me. Uh, so uh, Auburn was awesome. And I tell you, one of the highlights of me going to school with Bo Jackson, like getting a chance to watch that dude play football every Saturday. Or uh, or hit a baseball once baseball season started, but you know how big Auburn football is. Going to a game and getting a chance to watch Bo Jackson perform every week, man, is really one of the coolest things I've done in my life. Yeah, Bo was uh, he was unbelievable, and I mean, on the football field, just watching him, and then on the baseball field, having him come at you. It's just a di it's a different feeling, <laughs> you know. And I had an instance with him, and and I try to explain it to people. I said, "You can't, re I can't really explain it to you, because I didn't know whether he's going to run me over or not." And and he didn't end up running me over, but I'd never had a, on the baseball field. I've never had a fear in my life. Yeah, I've been anxious. I've been times when I suck, but I'm never scared. Yeah. Bo scared yeah. me. <laughs> You, you, you know, I, I actually, so my foot, we have a really good football team in my high school. So we, really good team. And we played Bo. And Bo's actually one of the most interesting guys. Bo Jackson, the only athlete I ever met who's the same, same, same age in high school, like his whole life. Like <laughs> Bo was humongous in high school and fast. And like when he came to Auburn, like, you know, those other, it was crazy. Like, he was always the biggest, strongest, fastest. Uh, but we, I saw him play in high school when they played us. And it, 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 every time he touched the ball, it was either a touchdown or almost a touchdown. That's how awesome he was. And then for us to decide to go to college together, and I get to watch that for three years, it was pretty special. What do you think about college today? They're coming out with a new uh... – 
new set of rules where I, I'm not really up to up to snuff on it, but players are going to be able to start getting paid by their likeness. What do you think about I, I'm a proponent uh, of the athlete getting paid. Now, I don't know the intricacies and I don't know what the what the formula is going to be for who gets paid what. But for me personally, uh, for the money, especially at the big colleges, the revenue these athletes uh, produce for these institutions, I've got no problem with making a comfortable life for the the college athletes, especially the college athletes that are bringing in the big money. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't know how to see, man, I'm going to tell you something. This is such a crazy shit show this whole thing like I'm concerned first of all they act like everybody's gonna make a a crap load of money and I'm saying first of all there's only one or two guys on a team in basketball that people gonna buy their jerseys or they might get a car deal so I'm concerned about jealousy and I'm really concerned about it in football because you you know they gonna buy the quarterbacks jersey and the running back's jersey. They're not going to be buying the offensive lineman's jersey and the defensive lineman's jersey. And then you factor in, yeah, the quarterback, he's going to be a good-looking kid who can sling it all over the place. The running back going to be running up and down. They're probably going to get a car deal. And now if I'm a big offensive lineman, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm blocking for this dude. He's making all this money on jerseys and things like that, and he's pulling in in a nice new car. And I'm not getting anything. I'm really concerned about jealousy. Because number one, I always say I want all my players taken care of, all of them. But I don't know how this thing is going to work. But this notion that, hey, y'all can sell y'all likeness. Like, first of all, everybody don't want everybody's likeness. Uh, that, that to me, I tell people, like, they act like all the guys like, yeah, I'm about to 11th guy on a, on a team, I'm going to buy some, I'm going to put him in a commercial, I'm going to buy his jersey. I'm like, first of all, that's not going to happen. I said, yeah, they're going to, listen, let's just use an example. Everybody's going to buy a Trevor Lawrence jersey last year at Clemson, and he's probably going to get a car deal, and probably Travis Etienne, the running back. But who else on Clemson? That's not to disparage Clemson. I'm just making a point. Yeah, everybody wants Trevor Lawrence jersey. And Travis ATN is a terrific player. He got drafted. He's going to be great. But I'm thinking, like, there's nobody else. I'm going to be rushing to buy their jersey on Clemson. Uh, and also, like I say, Trevor's going to get a car deal. And Travis probably going to get a car deal. I just think it is going to be such a shit show how this thing is going to work. And another thing that bothers me, too, if I'm a young high school kid and I'm saying to myself, the basketball, well, I only got to stay in college for six months. Where can I make the most money in six months? Um, and, or, or, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to one of the big schools because they're going to buy my jersey. I'm going to get a car deal. And it's going to be the same in football. But the least difference is those guys have to stay for three years. So how can I make the most money in three years? I need to go to the biggest school so I can sell as many jerseys as possible and get the most endorsements. So this thing is going to be very fascinating to watch from a distance. And I don't I think it's going to be a shit show. I really do. Uh, And uh, it's going to be interesting to watch because we all want to see train wrecks.
<laughs> and yeah. that's what I think this thing is going to be. Well, I think, too, it's even deeper than that. It would almost have to be split up if we're doing as fair as you can possibly do for the for the college athlete. It would almost have to be like a licensing agreement that you have in the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball, where it doesn't matter. In, in my case, it doesn't matter if if you were Barry Bonds or you're the 25th man on a roster and you're an extra player. Your licensing check is the same at the beginning and end of each, you know, at, at the beginning of spring training. I don't know. I, like you said, there's no right answer. And someone's going to be pissed no matter what they do because, because Trevor Lawrence uh, on the flip side is going, wait a minute, I'm the reason for all this. So why are you guys getting that too? Why are you getting the same thing I'm getting? So you're going to have jealousy on one side, but on the other side, the star, certain stars, I'm not saying all of them are going to say, wait a minute, why are they getting what I'm getting when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the face here. So I, that's, I think that's, you're right. That's, that's, that's my point. Exactly. I, I like to say, first of all, I always want us players to be taken care of, but I don't even know how you do it in a fair, equitable way. Because the point you just made with Trevor Lawrence is a hundred percent correct. I mean, I'm like, yo man, I, I, I understand what y'all are trying to do. Uh, and, and listen, I don't even know if you say, Hey, I'm going to give all y'all the same check. Like, Trevor Lawrence gonna say, "Oh, I don't know about that now." Right. <laughs> you know, and if a guy let's let's take a Zion Williamson. Hey, if I'm gonna be in college for one year, why am I splitting all this stuff with these other guys who I ain't never gonna see again? So my my point is, and I and you, know, you you hit it hit the nail on the head too. Like it sounds great and everything, but man, this is it's not that simple how this thing is gonna work out. And we haven't even got to the other athletes that have full rides. You know, what happened to that guy on the track team or, or the women's tennis team? You know, are, are they getting paid too? Obviously, they're not bringing the revenue. I go to USC. Obviously, USC football is the draw. That's where they're making tens of millions of dollars. The USC baseball team's not bringing in any money. So, so well, they got to justify why am I getting paid? You know, when Rodney Pete's my quarterback, he's bringing in, you know, the big bucks, but I'm the shortstop on the baseball team. I want just what Rodney's getting. It, it, it's really complex. It's, it's really complex. Uh, like I say, but also you got uh, Title IX going to come into play. Like, wait a minute. Are we, uh, are we only paying the men's sports? Cause let's be realistic. It's only two sports making money because of TV, basketball. And football, they they bring in ninety nine point nine percent of the money. So yep. now I know that's going to be they gonna spend so much money on lawsuits because I think the girls have an argument like, wait, they're only paying the football team and the basketball team. What about the equestrian team, the diving team, the swimming team? I mean, it's so much stuff that that, that they got to sort out. And like I say. I don't know the answer. You know, I get mad when these guys get on TV and says, we got to pay these players. I'm like, okay, tell me how to do it. I mean, <laughs> if you can't, if you can't, it, it, it makes a great sound bite when you get on TV and say, we're screwing these kids. We're not getting, they're making all this money. But also I want to make this one last point, And this is one thing that really drives me crazy. I hate when people tell young black kids, Getting a free education is nothing. That drives me crazy more than anything about this whole debate. They're like, they're just screwing these kids. They're only giving them a scholarship and education. I'm like, I, I, as, a, as a guy who got lucky to make it in basketball, 
we're only talking about 1% of these players who are going to go on and play pros. The other 99% going to have to get that free education. So that's the one thing that really drives me crazy when I hear these guys get on TV talking about, we're screwing these players. We're not giving them anything. Hey, a free education is a really big deal in my opinion. Wow, it, it changes people's lives. You're right. All right, moving on. Here we go. Fifth pick in the first round out of Auburn. You get picked by, you get picked by the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. You end up going on to play there from 84 to 92. I grew up there. I grew up in Jersey just over the bridge. And, and Dad played for the Phillies from 72 to, I think, 82 or 81. We left right before uh, you came on the scene. But I remember growing up, and it was Mo Cheeks, Julius Irving. My favorite was Andrew Tony. My brother Aaron, he loved Mo Cheeks. Still talks about Mo Cheeks. But you were coming into that mix. Dr. J was still there. Moses Malone was still there. And Mo Cheeks was still there. I remember when I got to the big leagues, Barry Larkin, Jay Buhner were, were two big influences on me. Really kind of took me under their wing and, and taught me how to be a pro. I read that Moses was a was a big man in your life early in Charles Barkley career. Tell me a little bit about that. He's by far and away the most important player in my NBA career. You know, I, I you know I I was overweight. I was fat. I shouldn't say overweight. I was fat in college. I played around three hundred pounds in college, and I was having success. So I I thought I was quote unquote shape in shape. But I was only in shape for college. You can't play in the NBA like that. So about whew, probably six weeks in, me and Moses happened to live in the same building. And I went to him. I said, hey, Moses, can I come up and see you tonight? He's a sure young fella. I said, Moses, why am I not getting to play? And Moses, who like, hey, uh, son, you're fat and you're lazy. I'm like, what? And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you're only lazy because you're fat. You can't work hard enough. <laughs> and, 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 and first of all, I, I always tell people, the first thing I did is went down to my condo and cried. Because, uh, you know, when, when one of the greatest ever called you fat and lazy, it hurts your feelings. But let me tell you something. He said, Charles, uh, you got so much talent, but you can't work hard enough to, to be successful. You can't play at 300 pounds in the NBA. He said, if you want to be, he says, if you want me to work with you, I will. I'll get you in shape. So this guy, you think about it, this one of the all-time greats, took a look here from Alabama. He says, let's lose. At the time, I'm probably weighing 292. He says, let's, let's lose 10 pounds. Uh, and he met me in the morning. He met me at night. And so after two or three weeks, I've lost like 10 pounds. And I noticed the difference right away. And then he says, okay. Uh, let's lose 10 more. And now I'm starting to get to play because I can really work hard. And he says, okay. And then we start playing. And I'm start, now I'm uh, getting to play. He said, let's lose 10 more pounds. And I'm like, first of all, I, at this point, I'm not even thinking I can lose 50 pounds. I'm, not even, I'm like, I know I'm a little heavy, but, but he didn't say let's lose 50 pounds. He just said let's lose 10 pounds at a time. And he took me from 300 to 250. He asked, I'd say, there was a time we got to 240, but I had no strength and energy. He says, you need to play at 250. 
And this guy got me to 250. And at like, hey, and once I got to 250, I'm starting. They, and these dudes ain't got no chance against me. So Moses is about – Doc was great to me. Bobby Jones, Maurice Cheeks, Andrew Toner, they were all great. But if, if Moses hadn't taken me under his wing and make me lose 50 pounds – you know, and listen, I've been around. I've seen guys eat their way out of the NBA. So I've have seen that before. So if it wasn't for Moses Malone, and and if it wasn't for him, uh, and I called him dad up until the day he died. And one of the most bittersweet memories of my life is giving a eulogy at his funeral. Uh, and it was, I wanted to let everybody know what he meant to me. But uh, it was still, like I said, it was bittersweet when he passed away. But man, it, getting traded, getting drafted by the seven sixes to me, Moses Long, was the one thing that that, that changed my my basketball life. And those teams, I remember. I was just a kid then, but I remember when Moses Malone came to town. That's when kind of when they changed. They, they, they went from really good to world champion level. Uh, yeah. And Bobby Jones, he always used to give the, you know, he was right-handed, but he'd always give the point with the left hand after a good assist or something. Somebody gave him a good feed. He'd always give the left-handed point. Oh, Bobby Jones, he's the sixth man. Sixth man. I remember these. I remember these days. Those are fond memories for me. It's like I said, that's what I grew up in that city. Man, it was the Sixers and the Flyers and the Eagles and the Phillies, and they were all great. What's it like coming from Auburn to Philly? Fans can be nasty. I watched them. They booed Mike Schmidt out of that city. And it's probably the, you know, arguably the greatest third baseman of all time. That had to be a little bit of a shock from you coming coming from where you were born and raised. And now you're in Philly. They're, they're pretty cutthroat. Well, it's so funny you said that. I always joke around now that I'm a, a full-grown man. I says, you know, anybody, if you're going to get drafted by Philadelphia – from and you're from a small town in Alabama. They should send you to prison for like six months, so you can adjust to what it's gonna be like. I was like, yeah. yo, man, no, nobody should go from a small town in Alabama to, to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and, and for for a guy who ain't never been out of the South and who's like, you know, I'm like uh, twenty twenty one years old, and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. This is flat out crazy. Uh, but you know, uh, I was so lucky. You know, one uh, getting all those old guys who treated me like a son. Like I say, not just Moses, Doc, Andrew, Tony, Maurice, Cheek, Clement Johnson, Bobby. I mean, it's so many guys. You know, and that's and that's one of the reasons I get mad at the NBA at times when they keep bringing these kids from high school or on in college for a year, like. If I'm coming to the NBA, I don't want no 22-year-old, well, excuse me, I don't want no 19-year-old kid helping me get through life. I want a 35-year-old guy, guys who've been through some things in life. Uh, I always think all these teams should bring, like, keep an old guy on your team so the the young kids can ask him about life. The doc taught me about money. They taught me how to dress. Stuff like that is really important and significant. Without a doubt. I mean, I, I remember those mentors for me. Same thing. They teach you how to be a pro. You're a kid. You're usually coming. You're usually coming, you know, for me, going to the big leagues. I'm uh, my, my hair was on fire. 
And I'm oh. just try, I'm trying to prove to everybody, hey, I'm really good. I'm as good as they say I am, and I got to show you. But I don't know which way's up. I got blinders on, and and I had some veteran guys really sit me down. I remember Ken Griffey Jr. We're the same age, but Kenny's a freak. <laughs> he's in the big <laughs> leagues when he's 19. Wow. By the time I got there. He was a three-year veteran, and Kenny would sit down to me almost like a father figure. We're the same age because he'd been there and done that already. He said, Brett, you got to slow down, man. This is the big leagues. It's a little bit different. You might have to sit on a breaking ball. And I remember those little lessons. Just well, kinda- I think what people, don't, what people don't understand, number one, the game itself is really, really damn hard, okay? Really hard. <laughs> yeah, but now – you got to find it. You living by yourself. You know, you have to wash your own clothes. I mean, I tell people, like, you have to be like, wow, I got to find dinner and lunch for myself. And I know a lot of people like, this is this is crazy. Like, no, I said, you don't understand. Like, one day they, te- they said, hey, you got to be in Philly. And then the next thing I know, like, now you got to go buy a house. You got to buy a car. Now you got to get your three square meals a day. I says that's kind of like that is not. I know it sounds simple now, but I'm like, yo, man, it's daunting. I'm 21 years old. They pick me up at Auburn, fly me to Philly, and now I'm like, oh, oh shit, I got to find a house. They're like, yeah, you got to find a house, and then they're like, okay. You got to go get put food in your refrigerator. That's stuff that most kids ain't never done because your mom or somebody's always done that for you. Like, hey, you got to get your clothes washed, man. I mean, I always tell people, and listen, that stuff is easy compared to trying to play basketball. I got to go out there. I walk out there the first preseason game. I see Bird, McHale, and Paris. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, <laughs> I play, I plan, uh, and this is just a preseason. I'm like, wait a minute, man. I'm really getting ready to go out here and play against Larry Bird. This is crazy. I'm getting right ready to, oh, that, that's Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish. I mean, I tell people, uh, the basketball is daunting. Yeah, it's you, you were talking about getting your house set up, getting your electric bill, getting everything registered. By the way, we got we got the Lakers tonight, and um, yeah, Magic's yeah, yeah. Be there. All right. oh, here's Magic, Kareem, and James Worthy coming in. Go like, get them, yeah, man. Get yeah, hey, uh, hey, you know it's funny. You, you, you know, we ain't got no idea how to eat good or anything. You got like all type of cheap, crappy shit in your refrigerator when your friends come over, like. You ain't got like no real food. I mean, you're laughing like you laugh. You can laugh about it now, cause like it ain't like you trying to eat healthy when you're 20, 21 years old. You got every type of crappy uh, frozen food, frozen pizza, those hungry man meals. I mean, cause you don't know how to cook. I mean, it's it's hilarious thinking about it now. It's hilarious thinking about it now. All right, so you're 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 Sixer days, six time All Star while you're with the Sixers, and all of a sudden you get traded to the Phoenix Suns. How was that for you? Pretty much your 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 entire pro career, you knew one place, one city. You get traded to the Suns, and now you're Charles Barkley superstar. There's high expectations going to Phoenix, but Phoenix, oh. the people in Phoenix loved you. 
Tell me they about were great those, to me. They were great. They, they were great to me. That's why I live there now. So when I got, so I had had enough of Philly. Um, I had heard rumors for two years. It was very stressful. It was very stressful because I mean I, I'm, I'm leading the news every day. Barkley's on the teams are trying to get me. You know, uh, it, it was stressful for two years. I'm trying to play good basketball. Reporters ask me about being traded every day. I'm like, hey, I got no control over that. I just I, I'm gonna do my job. I'm getting paid to do a job. So over the summer, I'm with my attorney. I got arrested in Milwaukee for fighting, and we go to Milwaukee for a trial, uh, and we spent a week there on trial. I was not guilty because I didn't do anything. We're, so after I'm not guilty, I sit with my attorney. I said, hey, man, write this down right now. Uh uh, I think uh, I forget who the general manager was at the time. I said, "Hey, uh, I want to be uh, up front. I don't want to disrespect Philly because the fans, the fans always always have treated me great in Philly." I said, "But I'm never coming back there, never, fucking ever." <laughs> My attorney's laughing as he's writing this shit. He says, "I says I am never ever coming back to Philadelphia." I'm telling you, I really appreciate everything that went on here, but I'm, you guys are, y'all been trying to trade me for two years. I'm, I've had enough. I say, I'm not going, I'm not going to come back ever. So this was in Philadelphia. This, I, I, this in Milwaukee. I fly back to Philadelphia. It was a Friday night. We're gonna mail. We're gonna mail the letter Monday morning. I land. This is for, This is how crazy this shit is. I land back in Philadelphia Friday night. I had totally forgot about it. I had ordered a set of Ping golf clubs like two months earlier. Had actually forgot I had ordered them. They're sitting on my front door. I get the call. Sunday afternoon, the Sixers untraded me to Phoenix. You're talking about ironic, ironic, peeing golf clubs are made in Phoenix. <laughs> I never, I never got to mail the letter, but Friday, uh, Sunday, Sunday afternoon, I get a call from the Sixers that I've been traded to the to, to the Suns. Uh, so that's how crazy it was, and man. Uh, I loved playing in Phoenix. Uh, we lost. We lost to the Bulls. When I got there, I told Jerry Colangelo, I says, "Hey, uh, we're going to the finals. We're gonna play the Bulls. Uh, I I promise you that we're gonna play the Bulls. I think I'm. I says Michael George is great, but I think he just has more help than me. I think I'm the best basketball player in the world." I said, you guys just gave up four guys to get me. Y'all must think I'm good too. I said, "We're going to the finals." And we're gonna play the Bulls, and uh, obviously we lost to the Bulls uh, that year in the championship. And then the next year, I knew it was gonna come down to us and the Rockets because me and Akeem were the two best players in the world at that time. And I says, "Man, we're gonna play the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals." And uh, excuse me, they beat us in seven games two years in a row. 
and won a championship both years. And that that was it for me, brother. So you go on from Phoenix, you go to Houston. Now you're playing with Akeem and, and Drexler. And you know, here's what fascinates me, and we talk about the great players of the NBA. I, I watched The Last Dance. I finally watched it. People told me you should watch it. Well, I watched it. And when Michael was talking about Drexler, and they were comparing Michael to Drexler, and he said, in my heyday, I match up against Drexler. It's not even close. Is that accurate? Uh, that would be the understatement. Like, Michael hated Clyde. Yeah, it seemed like it. First of all, Michael hated anybody who thought they were on his level. Let's get that out the way. But Clyde is the only person, like, I thought I would, me and Carl Malone and Patrick Ewing, we thought we were on his level. We just didn't voice it publicly. Clyde is just the only person who said it publicly, and it really, Michael's like, I'm going to kill this dude. Uh, and, and he and like because he takes everything personally, but yeah, he uh, he hated Clyde because Clyde thought he was as good as him. <laughs> I got to see that every day on the Dream Team. As far as like this guy's playing like his game seven out here in the middle of practice. I mean, that's how mad he was that Clyde was trying to compare himself to him. Yeah, it was interesting, and the way he just said it. I mean, he kind of said it verbatim, matter of fact. There was no – well, I th- it was like, no, here's the, here's the facts. It ain't even clo- – it wasn't even the same – in the same arena. And, <laughs> you know, certain people say that. I just kind of go, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's right. You know, I wasn't on the court with him there, but fr- from what I gather, what you're just confirming with, <laughs> he was pretty accurate in his in his candidacy. Oh, yeah, um, no question. So you play there till 2000, and uh, interesting in 2000, that's the year you end up retiring after the season, but April 19th, 2000, your final game, and you had a uh, pretty bad injury that year. Yeah, you know, it, it didn't bother me because I'd already – see, because, you know, it's, it's, it was a very valuable lesson I learned when, and when I talked to guys about retiring – you know, because like my last two years, I sucked as a player. But, you know, <laughs> I always tell you, air, air doesn't hit back. So because you feel really good in the middle of the summer uh, playing against air. Because, you know, all the old guys, we <laughs> we joke about it now. You get yourself in great shape because, you know, you know, you suck as a player, but you want to have one more good year. So you can like, quote unquote, retire on your terms. So you just don't want to be like out there like an old man. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to have any more good years. Uh, uh, it's crazy. I can get as good a shape as I want to. Air's not like a 25-year-old guy in the middle of his powers, which is that's what you're playing against in the NBA. Like doing the summer when you're working out by yourself, you you feel great, nothing hurts. But then you walk out there, and there's a 25 year old guy who's just gonna kick your ass, and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, so uh, that so I, it didn't bother me getting hurt because I'd already announced. Cause I, I figured out like, dude, you just gotta go ahead and announce your retirement because they'll keep throwing you out there. I says just on your name alone. So I don't want you out here. You've been awful the last two years. You got yourself in good summer shape, but that ain't NBA shape because you know you're playing against young kids. So it, it didn't bother me uh, 
getting hurt. Well, the only thing that bothered me about getting hurt was I didn't get to walk off the court out of my own power my last game. But uh, getting hurt, I had already announced, hey, this is it. I announced it before the season started. Hey, guys, this is my last rodeo. I love y'all. Thank y'all for everything. But this this is it. So it didn't bother me getting hurt, to be honest with you. Olympic years, two of them, 92-96. Let's start with the dream team. You know, you had Jordan, Magic, Berg, Malone, yourself. Uh, Chuck Daly, I believe, was the coach. He was my neighbor in Florida when I lived in uh, – Orlando area. Chuck Daly was two doors down. I got to know him a little bit. Uh, tell me about that. Well, that was one of the, the greatest experiences of my life. And uh, Chuck Daly gave me the greatest compliment probably ever. He says, I think you're the second best basketball player in the world. <laughs> I says, wait, who's fucking better? And we started laughing. Uh, <laughs> he says, I just want you to know this. I says, I've watched you play every day. He says, I can't believe how good a basketball player you are. I said, Coach, that's the best compliment somebody has ever given me. So thank you. He says, every time we have a big game, you're going to start. Because uh, he was matching up he was matching up different groups to start. He said, but every time we have a big game, you and Michael are going to start. And, and that was really the best compliment ever. But Chuck was great to me. Uh, I really enjoyed that. You know, I love being on that first dream team because, man, we had no egos. Everybody was just happy to be on the on, uh, represent their country and everything. I mean, it was really cool. Like, you know, Magic, uh, me, Magic, and Michael and Scott had played cards every single night, all night. Uh, Larry Bird and Patrick Ewing became like best friends because I think, it, like, we had so much respect for each other. But we like uh, planning the Olympics was just such a cool thing for us guys. I mean, we just loved it. I mean, they, and I, and I say this about people. I think the United States are the least patriotic people in the world. Like when you in the Olympics, man, everybody in those foreign countries they got all type of paint on their face. They all carrying flags. They're chin. Like they they love their country. Like uh, you know, I, I tell people, I say, you got to go to, and I've said this before, not just now. Everybody should go to the Olympics one time in their life. It's the greatest sporting event in the world. I mean, it's the greatest sporting event in the world. And I was lucky because I wasn't gonna play in '96 because I said, no nah, man, uh, I want somebody else to experience this. And the coach said, he said, Lenny says to me, he says, I need you to help me with these young guys. He says, this going to be, you need to do this also because, you know, I couldn't bring any family and friends to Barcelona. And growing up in Leeds, it's only like two hours from, from Atlanta. So everybody got a chance to come. So that's the only reason I accepted the second time. Because like I say, I told him, I says, yo, man, let somebody enjoy this. This is the greatest experience I've ever had. He's like, no, 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 no. We got a bunch of young knuckleheads on the team, and I need you. And I've said this before. I hated 96. Hated it. We had guys bitching about playing time. We had guys bitching about starting. It was miserable for me. Because I had just come off the greatest team ever, and Chuck had two starting lineups. 
Nobody ever complained about starting. Nobody ever complained about playing time. And then I get to Atlanta, and I'm like, yo, man, all my family drove over from Alabama. This going to be cool. And then I, I had to go the whole time with guys bitching and complaining about, why is he starting? I should be starting. Why is he getting this playing time? And I'm saying to myself, yo, man, I actually just played on a team with guys a lot better than y'all. They never complain about starting. They never complain about playing time. And you guys are a pain in the ass. And uh, so I hated 96. Yeah, and I, I expected, you know, you to say that my question was, Okay, unlike baseball, where you we go to an all-star game, it doesn't matter. We're all in the lineup, so we're all we're all hacking. Basketball is completely different. This is a team working together. So that was that was what I was curious about. Is the team loaded in '92? I mean, so many stu- superstars that you know all the icons of the game are on yeah, that but guys, team. But, but well, we we never had a disagreement. Yeah, I'm that's, telling you. That's what like, I'm first of all, we try, and not only that. Let me tell you this: we try. Listen, I've said this before. I've never experienced something that's as intense as our scrimmages every day on the Dream Team. Not, I've, I mean, I'm telling you, ain't nothing I've ever. And guys have always said about it before too. We have never experienced anything like those practices uh, because, okay, so this is the way it was. So at the time, it was David Robinson and Patrick Ewing trying to prove who was the best center. It was me and Carmelo Malone trying to prove who was the best power forward. Uh, Magic Johnson was mad because Scotty had locked him down in the finals. So they were going at each other like it was game seven. Clyde and Michael, they were trying to kill each other because, you know, Michael hated Clyde. I've never, uh, so I've never experienced anything that intense, like every single day. But the cool thing about it, to get back to my original point, for two hours a day or hour and a half a day, we tried to kill each other. But when we got back to the hotel, me, Magic, Michael, and Scotty played cards like brothers every day. Bird and and, uh, Patrick Ewan, we made them t-shirts. I think it was Harry and Larry if I can remember correctly, because they spent all their time together. And even uh, so that was the big difference for me in 92 and 96. I mean, we tried to kill each other every day of practice because of our egos who want to prove they were the best at their position. But once we left practice, we were like, yo, man, you start some games. I start some games. When I'm going in the game, I'm going in the game. But it wasn't like that for me in 96. Guys started bitching and complaining. So it wasn't a lot of fun for me in 96. The only saving grace was my mother and grandmother got a chance to drive over from Alabama and see a couple Olympic games. Oh, that's cool, though. I mean, that's that's cool to hear that dream team thing. Like you said, it was competition. We're always going to be competitive with one another. We want to show you it. It doesn't matter who we are, what arena we are. Athletes at the highest level want to show how good we are individually, but it's cool to say that you guys, bam, now when that game started, it was all one focus, and we're going to kick whoever's ass we're playing tonight, and, and we're going to do it with a smile. I, I think especially with that level of, of star power you guys had, that's that's pretty cool to hear that. It was. It was amazing. All right. Let's talk about the game. When you came into the league, and this is my favorite year, I mean, it was short shorts and uh, – 
man, the game was physical. And I look at, I look at baseball now and I see these rules changes and this new commissioner's in office. He's changing this guy that doesn't, really doesn't know, never been on the field, doesn't know how rules will actually affect. They took away, we can't run over the, the, the catcher anymore. Well, that's been in the game a hundred years. And for me, especially at second base, uh, you can't take out the runner at second base on a double play. Well, when I played, you've always, that was part of being a great second baseman is guys are bearing down on you trying to kick you in the left field and the great ones had the ability to turn that big double play. They're getting rid of all that stuff in the NBA. They're getting rid of, uh, of stuff from a physicality standpoint. I think it has a lot to do with finances today, how much money players are making and, and owners want to protect their players as much as they can. Uh, baseball. You still, you still have to figure out though, you don't want to take the essence of the game away. This is my problem with football, baseball, and basketball. Hockey's probably the only one who's like really trying to like, no, 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 we want physicality. See, because sports to me about competition. I want to see people compete. And if it gets a little nasty or dirty, I want that. I don't want, and like I say, I don't want to be the old get off my lawn guy. But I want to see people compete. That's what sports are. You look another guy, like when you go up and take a bat, there's pitchers looking at you like, I'm going to strike your ass out. And you're like, no, I'm going to get a hit. That's, that's what sports are. Like a cornerback. A wait a minute. Now, we don't change the rules. Well, a quarterback can't touch anybody now. But I want, I want to see Deion Sanders try to stop Jerry Rice. That's what sports is. I don't want to give Jerry Rice an advantage or Michael Irvin. I mean, so when I play against a, 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 a bird, a Patrick you and a Carl Malone, I want to play. I want to let, let's see who's the best. And if you beat me, I'm going to shake your hand. And I think we're taking, we've taken so much physicality out of the sport. It really has just changed. It's, it's changed sports in my opinion. Yeah. I, I watch a baseball game now and it's, the umpires have so much power. I mean, in, in, in my day and, and how it's been through time in Major League Baseball is it's an eye for an eye. If somebody goes down on your team, somebody's getting hit. Somebody's going down. And once that happens, tit for tat, that's the way it is. It's an eye for an eye, like I said. But it's squashed. It's over. As soon as that happens, boom. Yeah, there might be a fight once in a while, but that's part of the game. We we policed ourselves. Now, man, these umpires are so involved. There's a warning before two weeks before a series is coming up. Oh, they got some bad blood, so we're going to warn you now. Now, as a pitcher, man, I got to be careful when I come inside because I got I to gotta pitch there. But if I hit you accidentally – there's already a warning out. I get kicked out of the game. I, I think it's taken away, you know, a lot from the game. And you mentioned it in hoops. Man, the physicality is is what what I want to see. I want to see the best of the best going after it. But uh, that, I don't that's, know. And that's what that's what sports are. Yeah. I mean, I, I I love that. And listen, I'm a I'm I'm with you on the police yourselves. Uh, I'm a firm believer in that. I don't want ever. I don't ever want anybody to get hurt. But I want to see the guys like, because players, listen, guys upstairs in suits, no disrespect, they don't know what it takes. Number one to get there, 
So, 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 and like I say, they might be great at their job, but I want somebody who has been there and know what it takes, who's lifted weights every day, who's had hours, hundreds and thousands of hours of batting practice or fielding. Like when I used to get up and run all those mornings, I want somebody making decisions uh, who's like, okay, I understand why he did that. And I have no problem with that. Yeah. All right, let's get on to your golf game. I saw you recently. You you played with Curry and, and Mickelson. I'm impressed with that new golf swing, Charles. I'm impressed who you're working with and and – You've come a long way in the last couple of years. Give me a give I've me. Come the, a, the I've come a long way, a long, long way. You know, I really quit playing for like 20, 23, 24 years because I wasn't having any fun. I now always play. Uh, if a friend of mine having a charity event, I don't mind embarrassing myself um, uh, at all. I'll play for charity if it's a friend of mine, and I obviously play in that tournament in Lake Tahoe. But, man, it was no fun playing for the last 25 years. And a couple of years ago, I met Stan Utley at Tom Lehman's charity event. And he says, Chuck, you've been, you've been struggling, huh? I said, yeah, Stan. And he says, uh, why don't you come work with me? And Stan is considered the best short game putting teacher in the world. And I said, Stan, I don't work with everybody, man. I don't even play anymore. I just play for my friends sometime for charity. He said, well, you ain't got nothing to lose then. And I says, Good point. And we started working together. Uh, it took me about two years. And, like, and I'm hitting balls four or five hours a day because I want – because, like, you know, hey, old fat dudes, there's only two things we can do and have fun. That's golf and fish. And I love to do both of those things. But now I'm just back to having so much fun playing golf. Man, it's so much fun to go out there right now. I'm not even going to lie. Well, yeah, you're back to competing. You get your shots, you know, check in with your hand. Okay, I can get X amount of shots, you know, aside. But now it's we can compete. Yeah, I I was I'm really impressed. Your swing looks good. All right. Do you remember when we met? Because I'm going to tell that story. Uh, Philly. I, I remember we met, but I don't remember the story. All right. Here's the deal. All right, so for people out there listening to the Boone podcast, I'm at, I'm playing for the Cincinnati Reds. I'm in Philadelphia. We're playing the Phillies. I get a phone call from Charles Barkley. The clubhouse kid comes out to me. He said, hey, Charles is on the phone. He wants to play golf tomorrow. Can you play? I said, eh, tell, tell Charles, you know, I'll do respect. I don't play during the season because I got to play nine innings every night. I don't have time to fit in a round. Club, he goes, all right. He goes back. Tells you, I about a half hour later, I'm playing cards and hey, Booney, Charles on the phone again. He says you got to play. Come on, man. I said, come on. I don't have my clubs. I don't play during the season. Rarely do I play. Anyway, ends up. I said, fine. I said, and it. I don't know. Back and forth. He says, Charles says he'll pick you up at eight thirty outside your. Uh, the hotel and this is like right around 94 95 this is right in the heart of the oj trial and no 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 lie i'm out there on the curb waiting for you to pick me up you pull up in a white bronco <laughs> i'm just going this is hey. this is too this is too funny we go out there was a young lady with us we were doing an interview this is when you're i think you're in phoenix now you had left uh you had left philly you'd had your your eight years in Philly 
And you were doing an interview that day. So we had kind of a ride along with, with a female reporter and she was kind of documenting the whole day. It was one of the funnest rounds to this day I've ever had. And that's my We always going to have fun, brother. We always going to have fun if we playing golf. I promise you that. Oh, man. That's fun. The, the Bronco is what, what killed me pulling up. And it was right, like I said, right in the middle of that trial. Well, in fairness, I've never killed anybody. So that's, that's, that's a big difference in, in two guys driving Broncos. <laughs> All right. You've never been, uh, obviously, you've never been afraid to speak your mind. Where'd that come from? Now it seems like everybody on social media in this new era we're in, where everybody's on social media, everybody thinks they can just say what they want behind their computer. Nobody knows who they are. And and a lot of them just say it uh, because they don't have to face the music. They can't sit. They're not sitting in front of reporters or or dealing with people one on one. They just throw something out on Twitter. But you've always been one to be be out there up front from reporters to just just being honest, it's really refreshing. Where did that come from? Were you always like that? No, you know, I learned it my uh, my third year in the NBA. You know, I was talking to Doc. So my third year, I'm becoming a star. Um, I make my first all-star team. Doc and Moses, are they had already been past their prime, but they're past their prime. And I'm starting to get questions all the time. Like, uh, like it's, it's my team at this point. And I spent time with Doc because Doc was the best I've ever seen with dealing with the media and things like that. And I said, Doc, I really need your help. I said, blah, 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 blah. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, those days are gone. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, oh, it doesn't matter what you say. Some people are going to be pissed off about it. I said, what do you mean? He says, young fella, you can't make everybody happy. doesn't matter what your answer is. You just try to navigate it. But the notion that you can please everybody, that ship has sailed. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, Darren Dalton, rest in peace, one of my favorite people. I'm watching TV one day. He says, the bullshit going on around here is unacceptable. We got to pick it up. I'm going to start holding everybody here accountable, blah, 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 blah. And I hear the announcer says, man, what a great leader. What a great leader we have in Darren Dalton. So I went to practice like three days later, and then, and then we were struggling. I said, hey, the bullshit around here got to stop. I'm going <laughs> to start holding everybody accountable, and we got to pick it up. I wake up the next day, the headlines, Barkley bashes teammates. And wow. I remember, I remember saying, I thought a couple of days ago he was a great leader. I just kind of stole his shit, and he's a great leader, and I'm bad-mouthing my teammates. So I, I mean, so me and Doc are talking about that. He said, Charles, just, just the way this thing works, man, you cannot make everybody happy. So I says, well, what if I just say whatever the hell I want to and be honest all the time? He says, well, you, you that's going to work for you for people who agree with you. But for people who don't like you, they're going to bash you. And I says, I can live with that. He says, all right, I respect you for being like that. So then I made my decision. This is like I say, I had made my first all-star team. And from that point on, I said, hey, I spent way too much time trying to figure out what's going to make everybody happy, guys. From this day forward, I'm not saying I'm going to always be right. But I'm going to try to say what I believe 
And from that day on, Booney, I was like, hey, you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an honest answer. You might like it, but if you don't, I could, uh, that, 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 that's just the way it is. And I took that same attitude my last uh, 14 years in the NBA, and I took it straight to television. Like, I don't think I'm right all the time, but I ain't going to sit around trying to figure out a lot and make everybody happy. That takes too much work. Yeah, and it's it's cool. That's that's why I love watching you. All right, the uh, and, it, and it all started from Dutch. Uh, for the, that's Darren Dalton's nickname. His name is Dutch. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting you got it from him. All this talk right now, and I don't know if you paid attention to this or you have it, but in Major League Baseball, they it, it seems like every week they're coming up with. Uh, what are the unwritten rules of the game? You know, I, I thought about it for a while. And when I go on and do a show, I just say, listen, unwritten rules are what the players of today decide they are. Not what Brett Boone thinks, not what the generation before thinks, what the current players agree to. Those are what the unwritten rules of the day are. And history will judge each and every one of us in our generation of, of, of athletes. But it seems to me that nowadays and it transcends all across sports. seems like there's a lot of hugs and kisses going on before the game. You get a runner on first base and you know, we're making plans already. I don't yeah. mind that. I have a lot of buddies in the game, man. I, I love seeing my buddies, but for, from seven o'clock to 10 o'clock every night, I want to kick the shit out of you. And then we'll go, maybe we'll go have a beer after the game. What's your take on, on the athlete today you know, and I'm not here bashing them. I mean, they got a lot of things I really like about the game today. There's some things I don't. I, I can, you know, we're all different. Different generations have, have different. Yeah, have different but but to me, you think about your brothers. I think about my brothers and my friends. I wanted to kick their ass more than anybody. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it, that's the only thing that bothers me. Like, I'd never want to lose to a friend. Like, because, first of all, you got to listen to Michael Jordan every time he beats you. you got to listen to Carl Malone every time he beats you. Same thing with Patrick Ewing. Uh, you know, so so those guys are friends, but I want to beat them more than anybody. And once the game started, you ain't got no friends. After the game, whatever happens, I have no problem with that. But to me, what I get mad at is like, wait a minute, don't you want to beat your friends so you can have bragging rights? That, to me, was like the thing. Like, I always want bragging rights over my friends. And uh, so so I get a little offended because they're so close. But, and, and listen, and they can be close once the game is over. But, like, you want to beat your friend more than anybody. Yeah, I used to, I used to hate it. I, I, hated having, I hated having buddies that were pitchers. Cause there'd be a time and a, you know, there'd come a day where he wasn't on my team anymore. And now he's, you know, he's on the other team and I got to face him. And he's giving me that little smile when I'm coming to the, you know, the home plate. And, and yeah, I but when you like get a that. hit off somebody like that, that beer, that beer after the game goes down a lot better when you're with him. It, it definitely does. But I, I, oh man, I, I never liked being close to anybody cause I wanted to hate everybody. That, that kind of motivated me. Like, I don't like you anyway, so so it makes it even better when I kick your butt. I don't know. That was me. 
But I ended up, you know, the longer I played, I ended up liking most of the guys and, and have a lot of wonderful relationships for my career. But early on, I, I just, I don't want to be friends with anybody. It was interesting. All right. Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith, Shaq. Another, uh, he's another uh, former neighbor of mine in, in Florida. By far the best. Uh, NFL, they do a good job on, on the weekend. Baseball, they they do okay. But you guys, uh, unbelievable. By far the best. Most entertaining. And I, my question is, is what's funny? What When do you have more fun? On air or in between takes? On the air? Uh, number one, working with Ernie Johnson, he, he's the best person you're ever going to meet. But when I can get Shaq mad on the air, I'm good to go for the rest of the night. You know, he is so sensitive. <laughs> he's, first of all, he's a great person, but he's really, really sensitive. And there's, you know, first of all, you've had a friend who you get under his skin and it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, you probably did it with your brothers, but think about that. Like, when you can do it with a friend, uh, like, first of all, that's the only thing I miss about sports, giving your teammates shit every day. That's the best thing. When you're on the train, the plane, or the bus, and y'all are riding each other unmercifully, that's the best thing about playing sports. And Shaq, when I can get under his skin, there is nothing better in the world. Nothing. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. I got a couple of buddies. We have a little text thread, ex-players. And if I can uh, – I'm just looking for that right spot. If I can get him, <laughs> I, I, I just smile. And I don't even have to talk to him on the phone. It's just the text got him. And then the other guys on the thread, they know I got him. And it's just – it could be a week of absolute bliss where I just walk around like, hey, he knows I got him and he doesn't know what to say. And, you know, and then it'll turn and they'll get me one day, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, it's the, it's the best thing about playing sports. I mean, like, when you're with the guys, like I say, on a train, plane, <laughs> it's, it's giving each other shit. That's the thing. You, I mean, because, you know, you with these guys seven, eight months a year, and some of them are your really, really good friends. And when you can make them mad or just get them and you're like, it's, or embarrass them in front of a big group, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Who's Charles Barkley, Mount Rushmore of life? So who's made the biggest contribution in your life? Four biggest. Doesn't have to be a player. It could be anything. Muhammad Ali. Moses Malone. Pep Mock. Pep Mock from my high, uh, my best friend from high school. And probably my daughter. You know, uh, I got one kid. She's my pride and joy. I really wanted to be, I really want to be a good father. I did not have a great relationship with my dad. We're, we're cool now. But he was never my dad in in in, in life. Uh, but we're cool now. I want to make that clear. But I really want to be a good dad. I just walked her down the aisle like a month ago. It was like the greatest day in my life. You know, I'm not perfect, but I think I've been a good dad. She's 32. 
she went to Villanova in Columbia. She's a great person, a great person. She's really, she's really quiet and shy. I, you know, I, you know, Boone, I, I actually just got over the fact that she hated sports like last week. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you know, it was so funny when she was young, like, cause she's been six feet tall since she was like two. Yeah. And, and I'm like, Oh my God, you have just blessed me so much. I'm going to have a great basketball player, uh, a daughter. And I'm thinking as she's growing up, like I'm going to teach her all this stuff. She's going to be the best woman basketball player in the country. She's going to be all WNBA. And she hated sports. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, so I had to play basketball, volleyball, soccer, lacrosse. I said, I'll take anything at this point. I just, just clear, but you know, it was so funny. I, I was so devastated when she didn't like sports, but you know, I tell her, I said, I just have to brag that you were a straight A student at Villanova and Columbia. Not the same saying my daughter's the best basketball player in the country, but hey, uh, I have to survive on just academics. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And congratulations, walking her down the aisle. Pretty cool. That's scary to me. I, I've got a daughter now. She's 25 and. And, uh, you know what? Let me just tell you this. It's it's going to be the greatest day in your life. Uh, I picked a – I cried on the father-daughter dance. I did uh, Zach Brown, the man who loves you the most. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when, when you and your daughter pick out that song, when y'all dance to that song, man, it's going to – because I love everything about that song. But when you pick out a song of what you want to say to her, and y'all dance to that song. That's the only time I cry because that song, man, it's like, I love the way the, the words of that song about you turn your, I turn you loose to the world and I'm gonna toast when you get married, but if anything ever go bad, you come back to me. And uh, it, 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 I just love the words. I, I, t- I think it's it, I want you to see the seven seas and the seven wonders of the world. Uh, I want you, because, you know, our, our job is to get our kids ready for the real world. And if things go bad, they can always come back home. But I want her to see the seven seas and the seven wonders of the world. And uh, it, it was really awesome. Cause that, when I, and I had a lot of help because, you know, me and Ernie got a podcast. And we got some great songs from the public. Uh, and, I, and I love the song I picked, but uh, it's some really good songs out there. That's cool. Yeah, those yeah, daughters. Da- there's something about daughters. I got three boys, and they're cool. But there's something about my one daughter. You're right, and, and it's it's different. You can't explain it unless you're a dad. But uh, now that's you that's know really cool. uh, you know I've been in the NBA for 36 years, so I've seen a lot. And yeah. all the do all the dudes it's like yo man, my kid, my boys are crazy as hell, but my daughter's a saint. Like in my 36 years, I've heard that hundreds of times. Like, oh man, my boys are crazy as hell. I might take them out one night, but my daughter is a princess. <laughs> and like, yep. obviously, after after all these years, I figured it out now. But it, you're exactly right, man. Hey, dads love their boys, but man, it's just some about your daughter. She's like, she's always been my little princess. Yeah, it's different. Well, Charles Barkley, I appreciate you coming on. This was awesome. One of the best to ever do it. And what we do at the end of the Boone podcast each and every time is we bring the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy, back in to ask a question from the fans. Dan O. Sir Charles, how are you? 
I'm good, brother. I'm good. Thank you, number one. Thank you guys for having me on. Let's go with the question, brother. Okay, I got a few for you because you are okay. you are by far the guest I've been looking forward to the most. First and foremost, I am in Chicago. Obviously, the biggest person out here ever has been Michael Jordan. I've been around the media. I've seen you. I've been around you. I've been around Michael Jordan. All the stories of MJ are legendary, especially off the court. I've been at softball games where that guy has had a cigar in his mouth and slid home and ran over a catcher all just to, to win the game. You've been around MJ so much. Do you have one single story that sticks out in your mind as something that when you've hung out with him, you've been like, this, this story is incredible? So uh, we're, we're playing on the Dream Team, and we're playing the Tournament of Americas in Portland, Oregon. So me, Michael, Chuck Daly, and David Robinson get up, and we're going to play golf. So we play 18 holes, and uh, and Chuck says, okay, that's good, guy. Let's go. Michael says, well, I'm going to play another 18. And Chuck says, Michael, we got a game tonight. And he says, Chuck, I'm good. So Michael plays another 18. We go to the game, and we're going over the starting line. He says, David, you got this guy. Charles, you got this guy. Scotty, you got this guy. And Michael said, then he, he said, Michael, you got this. He says, no, I got the other guy. And he, Michael says, uh, Chuck says, well, he's the point guard. He, and Michael said, I got him. Michael looks up, says, I said I fucking got him. That guy said some shit about me in the newspaper today. I'm going to lock his ass up. And the look on it, like, like, he, this dude had just played 36 holes of golf, but he was like, he read what this dude said something about him. And he played like it was game seven. And he was talking to this kid the whole time. Don't you ever fucking mention my name again. I'm Michael Jordan, motherfucker. Don't you ever say shit about me. And like, and we're sitting there, and this is not even, we're not even to the Olympics yet. This is like the little, I think it was called a Tournament of the Americas. It was like a little practice <laughs> tournament. And Michael's going at this dude like, we're like, yo, man, calm down. You're gonna, this kid ain't going to never play basketball again. But it was so beautiful to watch. Like, he's like, nah, man, don't you ever mention, say anything bad. I remember, you know, you know, Booney, we were talking about, well, well, Clyde Drexler had to audacity to come out and say he was as good as him. And Clyde's a Hall of Famer. Can you imagine something? I think the kid was from Puerto Rico. I think we were playing Puerto Rico. <laughs> this, is some, uh, this is some kid from Puerto Rico, and Michael is screaming at him. And I'm like, you know, Michael, the kid, he, I don't even know if he meant, I don't even know if he said it, but no, no, no. He said it. I read it in the newspaper. I mean, we're laughing our ass off. I mean, it was crazy. That is fantastic. Um, number two, this one comes from Butch in Alabama. Charles, tell us about being a guest picker on College Game Day. It's really cool. That That is the, the, the biggest football show in the world. It's a great thing they have come up with, a great thing. I mean, it, it, sucked. it sucked last year because they couldn't have fans. But for the last X amount of years, I wake up every Saturday morning to, to watch that because it's so exciting. There was a crowd. When, I mean, when they come to your would come to your city, that's the place you want to be. And like I say, hey man, uh, you know I'm a big SEC guy. I love college football. Uh, growing up in Alabama, you have to pick a team. 
But I love college football. Uh, that's one thing I miss about living in Arizona. Like, at Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, it's life or death. I mean, it's flat out life or death. I mean, at Arizona State, we got Herm Edwards who's trying to do a good job. But, like, it's not life or death in Arizona like it is when you're in the South. I mean, when I'm in the South, I'm like, Alabama and Auburn. Like, it's so funny. When I'm in Alabama, it's, they start countdown 125 days to football starts again. I'm like, then the next day, 124 days. I'm like, what kind of idiot wants to hear that every day? I'm like, but they do. They're like, they count down the days, and they start like 150 days out before kickoff. I mean, like, come on, man. Y'all need to get a life. <laughs> Well, see, I, I uh, used to live in Omaha, Nebraska, and the Cornhuskers, it's the exact same thing. They close down the mall during the games. It's When when there's a Nebraska football game on, everything shuts it down. It's I've never seen anything like that before. You are correct. Uh, but that that's Nebraska. They got See, they got nothing else going on there. <laughs> I mean, so, that, so that, that is a little bit different. They got nothing else going on in Nebraska. Uh, no disrespect to Nebraska. One of my friends, Jabba Chamberlain, is, uh, he's big out there. But I'm saying, like, there's no, they got no other pro sports, and there's not another place that's close around and things like that. You ain't lying. You ain't lying. And finally, is there a way we can help you make up with Michael Jordan? Is there ever going to be a sit-down between you two? I love Michael. Uh, I miss Michael. Uh, it's really an unfortunate situation. He, we were like brothers for, and I love him like a brother. But you know what, uh, man? I got to do my job. You know, because my, my thing is, and, and this is one of the reasons I hate some reporters. To be honest with you, like your job is not to bash guys you don't. One of the reasons I hate like Skip Bayless. I hate that dude. All right, your job is not to. Be nice to guys who are your friends or pump up guys that you like or be against guys you don't like. Your job is to be fair because I always tell people this. There's somebody in Montana, Maine, they, they're going to be watching or listening, and my job is to give them a fair like I said, even if I'm wrong, I want them to be like, okay, this he's a good dude. He just had a bad game or he's a great player or he's, or he's uh, you know, just decent. And uh, so I'm going to always do my job uh, regardless. I remember the night the late, great Kobe Bryant texted me like 50 times one night cursing me out uh, because remember that, remember that game he wouldn't shoot? Yeah. Yeah. So I called him out after that game. And he started motherfucking me. Uh, and it, it went on for like, from like midnight to five in the morning where he called me every name in the book. I said, man, just call me. I'll tell you what I, because first of all, I, I know I was right. He wouldn't shoot. Remember that game against his sons? He was trying to prove a point. Yeah. And he, and he only shot one time in the second half. He must have sent me. 30 texts calling me every name in the book. And I'm at some point I just started laughing because I've always admired Kobe. He was great, great, great. But that night I didn't like what he did. But, but so, so even though I like the guy, I'm like, yo man, because I, 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 I called him out right after the game. I said, you know, I didn't like what Kobe did tonight. As he shot one time in the second half, he was trying to prove a point that he don't have any help. And that was not cool. 
Hey, before we got off the air, my phone was blowing up with texts from him, and I was, he, but but I, I can laugh. I was laughing about it, but about three o'clock in the morning, I'm like, yeah, man, I need to go to bed. Quit texting me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sir Charles, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. No problem, man. Yeah, you guys take care of yourself. Hey, Booney, you want to go play some more golf? Let me know, brother. I'm back. Let's do it. All right, Charles. Thanks for coming on. Okay, guys, you guys take care of yourself. Be safe. Mailbag. Brett, do you know what that sound is? It means it's time to go uh, into the mailbag. Mailbag time, Dan. All right, let's do it quick. Mark in San Francisco wants to know, Brett, have you ever played with Phil Mickelson or any other PGA Tour player? Uh, I've played with a lot of tour guys. Uh, used to play quite a bit with Lee Jansen. Hit a little bit with Tiger, uh, Marco Mira, Scotty Hoke. Uh, played with Phil. Yeah. He's a, he's a, we were a member at the same club out here in San Diego. Um, the thing about those tour guys is, is I try to look at it from my perspective as a baseball player. And, and it's really cool to get a guy to come to the batting cage or, or come to a workout once, but on a consistent basis, people are getting in the way when you're trying to prepare for, for a baseball season. So I try to always respect the tour players and think, I don't want to be the one hounding them. You know, I'm a, I'm a hack five handicap. They're working on their game. They got a tournament this week, but whenever I was, if, if I'm ever invited, I love, you know, cause golf is kind of outside of baseball is, is my passion as far as hobbies go. So anytime I'm invited to play with a tour guy, I'll always take them up on. I love watching them, how, how flush they hit everything. And uh, I love seeing any sport played at the highest level. But, yeah, I've got a chance to play. Uh, it's just cool. It's cool being out there and, and uh, just seeing the game at the highest level uh, being played. It's, it's something I think, I think athletes always like. You know, we like hanging out. We like being on the field on a, at a football game or, or courtside at NBA. It's just another game at the highest level, and you get to see it up close. You know, it, playing baseball, going out to second, that's great for other, for other sports athletes. Uh, but yeah, I've got a, I've got a chance to play with quite a few pros and, and, uh, every time it doesn't matter who it is. It's always special. All right. Let's head on back on in. This one comes from Craig in Detroit and Brett. What's up with all the no hitters this season? Wow. That's, it's interesting. Um, I, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's, uh, you know, for the first time in a lot of years, uh, the the discrepancy between the great hitters and everybody else is, is I think it's as, the gap is as big as it's ever been. You know, there's still the Mike Trouts, um, the the Juan Sotos of the world. They're hitting 320, but it seems like the rest of the league is hitting 220. You know, I don't know if that's this advanced analytics and, and emphasis, not so much on average as on on base percentage. And hitting home runs, you know, I, I just don't think it's a positive. I don't think it's ever a positive thing when there's an emphasis on hitting home runs. Home runs happen. Everybody's not a home run hitter. To try to hit them, I think, is a detriment. I think it's bad for the game. I think it's bad for your swing. Uh, 
but a result is a bad for your average. So I think, I don't know. I just think the gap of, of the really good hitters and, and the mediocre hitters is bigger than it's ever been. And, and uh, you know, the pitching, the stuff, there's a lot of talk about it right now. The stuff is definitely better. The physicality of the game is definitely better than it was 15 years ago. Uh, but the approach and, and the take at a home plate, on how we go about hitting, I don't necessarily think is the best way to go about it. I don't see many people with two strikes uh, making an adjustment in grinding. It seems like strikeouts are acceptable. Uh, and and average, there's not a lot of emphasis on average. I, I mean, we used to kill ourselves to, man, if you were hitting 300, that was unbelievable. So nowadays it's not so much on that. So I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a lot of, you know, I always say this. I think there's a lot of positive things going on in the game, but some things I wish, you know, I'd I'd see make a little bit more turn back to to normalcy. All right, well, that's going to do it for this year Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical director and producer of the Boone Podcast. The executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content gets handled by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, my name is Dan Levy. We're going to do it again soon. Thanks for listening. 